We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined as always by Darius and Mike. And today, uh, we're going to talk about the Lakers' schedule um, over the first 14 games has not been all that strong, right? We've had our San Antonio's, Memphis had the Bulls in here. Started out with the the Clippers in Dallas, but it's been a, a softer part of the schedule. But that's about to change. We've got the Lakers going up against Steph and the, the Warriors, who've been up and down this season. They've been a bit better with uh, Draymond, although uh, have dropped their last couple of games. And then go on a seven game road trip. And on that trip, you've got uh, we're at Milwaukee. We've got a game at Cleveland, who's a good young core that's much better on the defensive end than I think uh, most people realize at Philly, at Boston, uh, then game at home versus Denver in our first game back. So, Darius, in that stretch of games, first off, compared to that that first portion of the season, what do you think we're looking to accomplish in this upcoming stretch where we're on the road looking to defend our you know perfect road record? I think we're still in the part of the season, Pete, where it's all about habits, honestly. Like, I know that... We're now about 20% of the way through the season. The season's only 72 games, so those benchmarks are going to be a little bit earlier. But the Lakers have started to show more commitment to defense. The last handful of games, I think that Vogel especially is starting to refine his rotation a little bit more. So I think it's more fine-tuning 
and really sort of building that structure. I think Vogel probably looked at the first five to six games as an extension of the preseason. And so even though the season is shorter, if the first handful of games were more like preseason games, right, then this is the part of the season that is still like, all right, habit building, what do we want to be? And how can he start to refine things and set things in motion so that over the next two to three weeks that, all right, this is what we are from the coach's perspective. So it's a looking ahead just to the schedule and then kind of for the rest of the season, honestly, I think the Lakers are, if you give me 10 games, I'll give you seven wins, uh, you know, almost, I don't want to say at a minimum, but they're playing it about that clip right now. They're, they've got a 78% or really 79% winning percentage. And Pete, you mentioned that they, ha- they have had a couple of easier opponents, but they've only had one Eastern opponent. And if you think about like where they're at in the West right now, they've played the Clippers, they played the Blazers, the Mavs, uh, and the Spurs. Those are all currently quote unquote playoff teams. Then you have the six and six Nuggets, who I think are better than that, but still, that's not a scary team, uh, right? Especially with the Lakers and especially with where they've evolved. Golden State, six and six. And then the only team right now that's actually, you know, I don't know if there's a team out of the mix right now um, that really scares you outside of that or really scares you in general. And that's where. In the East as well, I don't know if there's a team, and you mentioned, you know, Philly, Milwaukee. Like, there isn't a team right now if the Lakers play well on defense that they shouldn't beat. And it also, they have such a nice cushion now with the record that if they lose a game or two, that's not really going to get our attention that much either. So it's a nice place to be at, I suppose, is the point from a from a comfort level. Last uh, game, knock on wood, the Lakers had all of their players available, uh, no injuries, nothing to do with COVID. That may may change at some point. Again, knock on wood, but they're they're about as as good as you could imagine or hope for um, at this stage of the schedule. And it is something that is relatively comforting when you're covering or following the team. Pete, much different than last year, right? Like the way that Mike was talking right now, like, oh, they could drop a game. They play the Bucks or the Sixers, two of the better teams in the Eastern Conference right now. Ah, they lose a game. Who cares? Because the Lakers are no longer in the prove it stage, right? I listen to a ton of NBA podcasts and the Lakers are viewed almost universally as in a tier by themselves at this point. And almost every other team is a prove it team. Milwaukee's a prove it team. Philadelphia is a prove it team. The Clippers are a prove it team and the Lakers proved it. They won the championship. And so how are you feeling Pete about the road trip? What are you looking for? Are there things that you'd like to see them improve on or just sort of like business as usual sort of trip for them right now? Yeah, this team as that on a tier by themselves, and I've, I've thought that since before the season. And yes, it is so different than last season. I remember like, when are we going to finally beat a, a good team when we'd go on these types of road trips? And this is a very different type of feel to it. But in order to say that tier ahead, we don't need to worry about anybody else in particular. I do think that, you know, Giannis presents certain unique challenges. Steph presents unique challenges. Tatum and Brown will, will present unique challenges that I think will test certain components of this team. And I'll be, you know, keeping a close eye, like in that Boston game on our wing defense. And what does that look like? Obviously that's not, we would approach our wing defense LeBron and AD probably get a little more time on those types of players in a playoff series than they would in this this type of context. But it is something to keep note of. But 
I like what you said, Darius, about habits in that we're very much in that portion of the season, especially with the new players. I'm seeing improvement defensively from Trez, for example, where he's starting to show higher and he's starting to, you know, not getting beat outside leg. Just they're incorporating him more as being, you know, doing what he does well, just asking him to do what he does well. And that's true of of everybody. The guy that I'm looking forward to seeing more and more incorporated is Schroeder. I think that those lineups toward the end of the first quarter that I've talked a lot about, right? Those have started to improve if AD's on the floor or not. And that continued integration of him is something that I think over the course of this road trip, he's kind of the next guy that I'm looking at in that, like, will he be able to get more of his footing on the offensive end rather than just contributing here and there? I think that there's more untapped potential than we've gotten to yet. Schroeder to me feels like a guy who is more a bit by himself at times and then a bit within the team sometimes, right? Like, so he can sort of walk both of those lines because he's such an aggressive offensive scorer that he can often be a, I'm going to get mine, I'm going to get mine. But the last few games, I've seen more of drive and kick, like drive and dump off and a bit more steadiness and slowed down pace within the pick and roll that I've really appreciated from him as a playmaker. Was there something specific that you're looking for from Schroeder that Pete didn't talk about there? The way I look at Schroeder is that he's the only new guy that has the ability to make a lot of decisions. Uh, in other words, he's the one that has the ball the most, and therefore it's going to take him the longest to adjust, uh, to know when to shoot, when to pass, where does LeBron want the ball and when. If I drive in this possession, is LeBron going to give me a side look like I should have kicked it out? How should AD receive the ball on these screen rolls? So he's got all that stuff on his mind. He's still working all of that out. Marcus all a is just so, you know, the guy just knows exactly what to do on every possession. Sometimes you just want him to shoot more, but that's about it. He doesn't need much integration. Wesley Matthews is going to catch and shoot. Um, sometimes you might get the ball in the post, but other than that, yeah, that's it. Harrell is going to do Harrell things. He's going to be around the rim. He's going to roll to the rim and catch the ball. He's not somebody that is, I think, hard to integrate. So that's all it is to me with Shooter, and that's going to keep getting better. And the fact that it's already been pretty good, and uh, and by the way, he made two excellent defensive plays that I thought really uh, kept the momentum going for the Lakers. Uh, just individual, individual uh, pickup right after half court, pressure the ball, get steals. Um, so like that stuff's already happening. So it's, I, I think the offense will continue um, to get better. And then uh, Pete, if I wanted to make a point back to you, uh, you were talking about last year and sort of the feeling at this time. And so the Lakers last year, right, they were 11 and two and then 12 and two. So they didn't have that third loss yet. They didn't have a, a ton of quality wins because their schedule didn't allow it to be so. Um, they did win at Dallas, that kind of fun overtime game when Danny Green hit three. They did smack Utah um, early when Vogel put AD at the five. Uh, there were a couple of other decent wins, but it, the schedule really turned to me. And this is when I started to get annoyed when everybody said, oh, they don't have any great wins. When they had that three-game stretch at Denver, at Utah, at Portland, and they mopped up all those games. So they, it was 105-96 at, at Denver, 121-96 on the back end of a back-to-back -back at Utah, and then 136-113 at Portland. Um, all playoff teams that they smacked on the road. So that was all I needed to see. 
last year to sort of cement them as the favorite. I get it that people wanted them to, to see them beat the Clippers in the regular season, and that's why March uh, was meaningful. And people also held the Bucks in higher esteem perhaps than I did last year. So, yes, that, that did make a difference, but I had seen enough in early December. It was like if you can smack those teams in their own buildings uh, by double digits, then, you know, you're, you're all right. Mike, I have a question for you. How many teams in the NBA do you think could, not would, but could beat, barring catastrophic injuries, could beat the Lakers in a seven-game series if things broke their way? Okay, well, the way that you worded that question is interesting um, because as in could, um, which would mean, like, I think clearly the three of us are going to favor the Lakers, but could, uh, I'll say, man, I... I guess I would still say the Clippers are the biggest threat in the West based on personnel. But, you know, I just with if you bring in the whole basketball gods element of it, I need to see them get out of the second round before I can really believe it. Um, but just in terms of talent wise, I suppose I'll give I'll give you the Clippers. And I think we have to at least acknowledge the upside of the Nets. Uh, now that James Harden is actually playing hard, I thought he looked great yesterday um, did what we would have expected. Uh, they don't have Kyrie back yet. So I'll give the Nets some upside respect. And then mm, I'm, I'm hesitant to go there with the Bucks or the Celtics or the Sixers. And I'm hesitant to go there with any other team in the West. You know, like I don't think Phoenix is quite ready. Dallas, not quite ready. Denver doesn't quite have the last piece. Phoenix, not quite. Yeah. So I, I suppose that those, those would be the only two teams that I would give the, um, I would give that benefit to. And of course I would pick the Lakers. Darius, any, anybody else for you? No, those are basically the teams. Um, Philly intrigues me. I don't think the team that we see now is necessarily going to be the team that finishes the season, not necessarily from a big move, but Maury's always been aggressive and he always looks to work the margins and they can improve still um, with more shooting and potentially a little bit more defense for them. But any team that has two superstar players, I kind of put them in play, right? And so the Clippers, definitely. The Nets, definitely. Um, Philly, to me, I have a higher regard for Ben Simmons, right? But the way that Embiid is playing. Boston would intrigue if I trusted their big men more, but I don't. So AD is the thing here, though, like... We have LeBron, obviously, as like his own planet within this discussion. But Anthony Davis is right there, too. And he's such a unique player that when you talk about beating the Lakers in a seven game series, a lot of that is how do you solve the AD puzzle? And that's a difficult code to crack there. Pete, you asked a question. What's your answer? No, I'm with Mike. I think it's the Clippers and the Nets and the Nets are it's, you know, people were very hyped up about that game against Orlando. My thoughts was like KD looked great. Harden looked great. And they were still in a game with the Orlando Magic. Right. And now Kyrie didn't play, but I think it illustrated both. Like if, if Vucevic is going to do what he did against them, what's AD going to do? Right. That skilled, similar type of big, but AD is just a better version of, of that. So I think, I don't know. I'm, I'm curious to see what they do with their roster. I, I don't know if you can flip Kyrie, but you know, a team with KD and Harden and then Kyrie for defensive pieces, you, you know where I'm, I'm coming from on that, Mike, like guys that kind of yeah, fit in for sure. more and, around those two guys. 
And this is why, like, on a Lakers podcast, it's it's almost difficult to have these kinds of discussions to some degree because nobody wants to be running out ahead of the pack and sort of looking behind and, you know, and not acknowledging uh, danger, right? It's it's sort of a, it's, but we can't lie, right? So, but it is a little bit uncomfortable in that sense because you never want to feel so great, especially this early in the season. It's just, think about the Nets and the role players on the Lakers are almost all playing well. And Alex Caruso is shooting 58% from three. Like that's going to come down some, but the shot looks better. He looks confident. KCP is on cloud nine as a basketball player. He's just feeling great on both ends. Uh, you know, there uh, Kuzma is rebounding the hell out of the basketball um, set aside from his scoring. Uh, I mean, just we could go on and on and on and it still comes back to LeBron James playing 11 games in his 18th season. He might be the only player in the league that's played all like all 11 of his games right now. So, and then AD just come. So it is, it's just, I'm the three of us kind of can sort of do that to each other and bring in some rational points, but I'm, I am having trouble right now identifying a real weakness um, after these games, aside from just, the season and the toll of it and the occasional not bringing best effort out early. And so maybe we'll see one of those P develop uh, over these next 10 days as the schedule tightens up a bit and we can focus on that. I actually love what you brought up about uh, some of the improvements of the, of the role players. Uh, Let's take a quick break. When we come back, I'd love to pick your guys brains on that, on what's real, what isn't Caruso, KCP, Kuz, just all of these components. Is this something that you think we can rely on going forward? So let's take a break. We'll come back, talk about that. If you want to host a podcast and just don't know where to start, hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive per. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Personal cover art, access to our community Discord, and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. And on top of that, we'll help you get your show pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all the other listening platforms. And the best part is you can get all of this for only $15 a month, the same rate as any other hosting site would charge you for just the initial setup. So whether you're starting from scratch or have an existing show that you want to grow, Hustle is an open door to leveling up your sports experience. Acceptance into the program is limited, so get your application in today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com backslash join. That's bwhustle.com backslash join. 
Credit Karma has always been there to help you make better financial decisions, and now they want to help even more. With a Credit Karma money spend account, you can be rewarded for good money habits. Credit Karma money is a brand new checking account where you can win cash reimbursements for making purchases. When you use your Credit Karma money debit card, you can win daily Instant Karma purchase reimbursements on items up to $5,000. Just pay with your debit card, and if you win, you'll be notified on the spot and your Instant Karma cash will be added back to your spend account. Credit Karma Money has already given away over $3 million in Instant Karma to 50,000 Credit Karma members and counting. Open your FDIC-insured spend account for free. There's no minimum balance requirements, no overdraft fees, and free withdrawals from a network of over 50,000 ATMs. And when you make a purchase between June 8th and June 30th, you'll be automatically entered to win $1 million. Credit Karma Money. Progress starts here. Right now, visit creditkarma.com backslash win money to open your free account and start winning instant karma. Go to creditkarma.com backslash win money to sign up for free and start winning instant karma. That's creditkarma.com backslash win money. Instant karma is sponsored by Credit Karma. No purchase necessary. Exclusions and terms apply. See rules. Banking services provided by MBB Bank Incorporated, member FDIC. Maximum balance and transfer limits apply. So there was this play in the last game against the Pelicans where AD ran this ball screen and the ball got reversed to him and Schroeder set the screen. This is a play that Vogel really likes to go to, especially in the second half where it's an inverted ball screen. So Anthony Davis is the ball handler. The guard is the screener did it a lot with Caruso last year. And so Schroeder said it, but it was kind of a ghost screen, right? Meaning that Schroeder pretended like he was going to set it and slip to the perimeter AD ends up matched up with Adams, crosses him over, drives across the lane. As this is happening, Alex Crusoe relocates from the corner to the wing, catches, lets it fly, and drains it. And Darius, that is a step forward as a shot, the type of shot. One of the things you say about AD that I love is how he is able to make shots from different foot placements. And that's a big thing for a shooter, right? Whether it's on the floaters that, that we see from AD or a three-point shooter, Alex Crusoe being able to sprint at full speed from the corner to the wing, catch the ball and let it fly in one motion and knock it down. That's a shot that he's making this year, man. Is this something that like, first off, what kind of player is Alex Caruso if he can make that shot and how much do you trust it at this point? Trust is a different question, right? So trust is earned over time. I do expect his three point percentage to dip He's not going to be Duncan Robinson, right? Or a player like that. I mean, 58% of his threes is a wild number. I'm glad you highlighted that play, though, Pete. To me, one of the biggest drivers for Caruso on offense is his confidence and his belief that it's not an exceptional thing for him to decide I'm shooting this possession, right? We always think of him as that connective tissue guy, the ball mover, the screener, the cutter the guy who plays within the framework of a possession rather than a guy who's going to be a real finisher, particularly from the perimeter. We think of him more as a finisher in the open court or as a cutter, but not as a I'm coming off a screen or I'm relocating off of three. Since he's come back from COVID protocols, he has just been shooting the ball with immense confidence. And he talked about carrying over the stuff from the bubble to the regular season much easier because of the short turn around, right? And I think it's 
a good step forward, but I don't know how surprised I am. I'm probably surprised at the percentage, but not necessarily what he's doing, right? When he was still on a two-way contract, he had that big game against the Clippers, right? Everyone sat out and it was just Caruso doing Caruso things, but on like steroids, right? Like, oh, like one hand gather layups off of the wrong foot, high off the glass, like pull back three pointers, like coming off of a between the legs dribble. He's a capable offensive player, but a lot of it is mentality. It's, it's not my turn. This isn't my job. This isn't my role. And so to me, it's not necessarily that he's making the shots. It's that he is taking them and taking them with confidence because to me, that's almost more important for him than the fact that they're going in like this. I think them going in is probably feeding his want to continue to shoot. But Look, the fact that they've been going in at this rate, if he has a cold streak coming up, I hope that he remembers, look, through 40-something threes, I hit 26 of them, right? So so let's continue to fire these off, even if he has a game where he goes 0 for 4. Yeah, so he's, so he's attempted exactly one-fifth of the threes that he took last year, and he's at almost 60%, but it's only 14 for 24. So last year, he took 123s. Now, the year before that, he took 53s only, and he made 24 of them, and that was 48%. And that was that seemed a little, like, not super real. And then, I, but here's the bottom line, and Darius, you hit on it early, I think, in, in your uh, uh, when you were discussing it a second ago. He has the belief and the confidence to shoot it, and I don't really care if it's 35% or 50%. As long as it's somewhere in that range, he's not shooting enough threes where it makes that big of a difference. Like we're talking about the difference of eight or nine threes over the course of the season between the high thirties and like the high forties. It's just, if it's, this is why like Steph Curry being over 40% is incredible for his team because he's shooting 10 a game. But if you're only shooting two a game, uh, it's the variance level of a make here or make there isn't as big of a deal. KCP on the other hand, uh, or like Danny Green last year, those guys, it's much more important that they're closer to 40% than, and that's that's why, like, Pete, I, I, I hope I'm explaining this well enough, but sometimes you have to really look at that number and people can freak out if it's 35 versus 39, and it can be such a negligible difference um, in, in the over the course of a shooter, especially where it is. And it's just, it, the other point I want to bring into it is I kick it to you, when you have players, whether it's Caruso, Kuzma, Westman, whoever, Guys playing well, LeBron and AD are going to play well almost every night. So the Lakers have just had – the reason why they're winning by 20 is because they've had five, six, seven guys play well uh, on a given night. And it's more than the last year. It's just more guys are playing well than played well last year. It, it would be my sort of thesis out of all that. So you can take all that. I know I apologize for it being so uh, all over the place, but take all that and pick out the best point for me if you could. Well, no, I think that the – talent level of the team overall puts guys in positions to do what they do well by and large and that's why we're seeing so many of these nights of six seven guys in double figures because what everybody is asked to do is really what their specialty is right trez down in the dunker spot as we're running high ball screens with lebron and ad and is just gonna feast right and then kuz's ability to be good at different aspects of the game and just a random like oh kuz grabbing 12 rebounds tonight. Okay. I guess he's doing that lately. And then, you know, some other stretch of games, he's 
knocking down threes coming off of screens and another one it's like oh he had a five to seven assist night right so who's kind of being the swiss army knife within this can help exploit a team's weakness right where he might not be good at knocking down those threes against the a team like the pelicans but they're weak on the boards and he can exploit that um and that overall talent level really impacts everybody but it also speaks to i think the lakers focus on player development and this is a credit to caruso as well right that ability to that that takes work just that action right there to go from the corner to wing and relocate and catch while on the move and get your feet right and be able to go from moving left right to being stationary and on balance and getting the shot up i've also noticed with caruso's release he's got more of a fluid one motion shot as opposed to kind of hitching it back and and flinging it kind of like a trebuchet type type thing right and that um that work internally is why you know we talked about opened the show about talking about the road trip and what are we looking at of these teams? And then it kind of gets to this point of like, crap, are there only like two teams in the NBA that we're worried about in a seven game series? Well, the way you keep it that way is not by standing still, it's by continuing to improve. And the player development on this team, Darius, that I see, and that's one of the big stories throughout this season is, uh, is you know, Trez, how much better can Trez get? How much better can AD get? Have you guys seen AD's passing this season? Like, holy crap, he's he's gotten so much better as a passer this year. And so those continued developments, that's really what this season is about to me, guys, is that ability for individual players to keep improving those aspects of their game, even if they're mid-late 20s. The, the thing I want to add real quick before kicking it over to Darius about Caruso, uh, I asked him about his shooting the other day, and the first thing that he said was, well, it helps that I'm wide open every time. And guess what? He's going to stay being wide open. And so that is something that is significant because for the most part, if he's on the floor, there are going to be other shooters that are at least by rep- uh, by recognition or by reputation, better shooters. And he's going to have that space. He's also almost always playing with LeBron um, or AD. And so that, that is something that helps too. And Caruso is not one that is going to force up a bad shot, which is going to also keep his percentage high. Whereas KCP, Kuz, they don't mind taking some more difficult looks there. Uh, but to that point that you just made about Trez Darius, I do want to get your thoughts on that because I I think that he he's just been overall better uh, the last week or so than he was the first week, and I, I want I want to see what you think the answer is to why um, aside from just maybe his comfort level increasing. Comfort levels important, man. Like it's how do you feel when you go to work every day, and do you understand what's asked of you, and can you do those things effectively? The interesting thing is the role that we saw for Trez that we forecasted out for him in the days after it was sort of a surprise signing for him is not the role that he's actually playing right now. We envision him being like a pick and roll partner with LeBron and Dennis Schroeder, and he's going to be able to feast on second units. And no, that's not what he's being asked to do pretty much at all. When he's sharing the floor, with another big man, it's mostly with Anthony Davis. Guess who's setting the screens in those situations? It's AD. It's not really Harrell that often. And he's rarely running pick and rolls with LeBron. And look, on the second unit, he's playing with guards who like to shoot and wings who like to shoot. And so those guys aren't necessarily looking for him in the screen and roll game. Schroeder is looking for his own shot. He runs pick and roll with Kuz or with THT. Guess what? Those guys are looking for their own shots. And so 
I think it's taken him a little bit of time to adjust to the fact that like, oh, if I'm going to eat, I'm going to eat on dump offs late and I'm going to eat by going to the offensive glass and two to three times a game, I'm going to get a post dump in and then I'm going to get to do whatever I want with those possessions. And those are mine. Right. And I think as the season has gone on, he's gotten much more comfortable with the fact that it's like, all right, crash weak side glass, Schroeder's driving, Kuz is driving, THT is driving, AD is driving. All of those guys who can threaten the rim, he's eating weak side on offensive rebounds and putbacks. He's getting out in transition and then he's getting his post up touches. And that's enough for him to get 12. 14, 16, 17 points. He's drawing fouls. He's making his free throws. I'm super pleased that the coaches are totally like, yeah, shoot that mid-range jumper. We don't care, right? And I think that speaks to that player development point, Pete, that you were making. It's like, grow your game. We want you to grow your game. Do more on the court within the context of what your role is. Stretch those limits because you can always go back to LeBron or AD, they can always do something in order to stabilize a possession or stabilize a stretch of the game. So it doesn't matter really if KCP takes a tough shot, if Kuz takes a tough shot, if Harold decides, you know what, I'm shooting an 18 footer this time. It doesn't matter because you can always pivot back to Braun and AD. Yeah, no, those things are exactly the types of growth that, that I think are important. I also think that us as a team turning up the temperature on the defensive end has been good for Trez. I think he's the kind of guy, this is an observation from watching Clippers tape, but also with the Lakers that he is sensitive to the mood of the team and to the vibe of the team. And so he's, he's so great in that, you know, I love, I've loved Trez since Louisville, since he played for Louisville and those teams that really get after it on the defensive end that really go hard. Like that's, that's what Trez is about. Right. And he's going to follow that, that type of energy. Uh, if the team's sleepwalking, he might sleepwalk too, but the discrepancy between what he can provide when he's at 70% versus what like LeBron or AD can provide at 70%. Trez isn't that tall. He's not that, that big. And he's, he's, adding to his skill set, but he really needs Mike to be locked in and, and going hard to be the fully real, realized version of himself. And a final quick point on Trez. I just think it's demoralizing for a defense to allow an offensive rebound put back from him and then get the scream when you have LeBron and AD on that same squad. It's just like, oh man. And, and I remember even watching the Clippers sometimes in, in some of the games when they would beat the Lakers and you get your stop. Oh man. Okay. You got the contest over on Kawhi. Uh, whatever, great, let's go back to the other end. And then Trez comes out of nowhere, grabs the ball quick and does one of his quick flip uh, layups and then screams at you. And it, it sucks. Like that is a, that is a nut punch. So I think that's something that, uh, that the Lakers thrive off as well. I think we've got a few minutes left. I want to go around the room really quickly. Monday's game is an interesting matchup. The Warriors present very specific challenges for this Lakers team. Like you said at the beginning of the pod, Pete, They've been playing better since Draymond's gotten back. I really like Wiseman as a prospect. He's got some learning to do, obviously. Open-ended, like what most interests you about this game? 
I'd like to see how much uh, we can physically punish them. I think that that's a team that that even with Steph, I think we got the best defensive guards in the NBA. So I, I'm going to be really keeping an eye on how well does AC, how well does KCP, how well does Schroeder chase Steph around. That's probably the thing I'm looking for most because I think that we're going to win that physical battle down inside. How about you, Mike? The, the thing that I'm most curious about is Frank Vogel going to say, okay, it's Martin Luther King uh, Jr. Day. It's the Warriors. This is a big matchup. Let's go ahead and give Steph the Dame or Harden treatment from the playoffs when the Lakers just completely shifted their D and made it really, really difficult on those guys and encouraged other people to beat you, especially with no Clay Thompson. Uh, that's to me what you do if you're the Warriors, right? Just way overcompensate for Steph and encourage anybody else. If Wiggins or Nubre, um, you know, want to take a million shots, like that's fine. So I'll be curious if they whip that out, but I'm not super confident that they will because Vogel has even said explicitly that they're still kind of in their shell and they're going to play a certain way and they're going to evolve and they're not going to, they're not doing sort of the crazy game planning stuff um, at this point of the season. But uh, if he whips that out, I'll be curious. And then the second thing is Golden State has not played well against the better teams. So uh, Brooklyn and Milwaukee beat them pretty badly. That was without Draymond. But even more recently, Denver, I watched their last game against the Nuggets, and Denver kind of had them at bay for most of the game. Uh, they did beat Indiana. So, sorry, same thing with Indiana. Indiana had them at bay. They did beat Toronto. They beat the Clippers the second time they saw them, but that was on another 20-point collapse uh, from the Clippers, which is something, of course, that we oh. before. In the game before that, the Clippers sort of held them down uh, pretty successfully as well. So I, I think that this is a game where if the Lakers play even reasonably well, uh, they should win by 10 points. Um, but if, they, if they're not uh, and they, they kind of sleepwalk through things again, Golden State could absolutely win. But yeah, I, I, to me, this, is, this game is in the Lakers' hands with how hard they choose to play. I am super interested in a ton of individual matchups this game. Schroeder seems to want to get up for any big game against another opponent's top guard. So I want to see how he does. You, you know, I have a feeling they're going to start him on Steph. It's a natural matchup for him in terms of size stuff. I'm also super interested in who does Draymond guard? Does he guard LeBron? If so, I want to see that matchup. Does he guard AD? If so, I want to see that matchup when... The Lakers play AD at center. I hope that Wiseman is in the game because, you know, I want to see that freaky matchup of, of two like supreme big men athletes. Another thing I will say is that Wiggins is playing really strong defense lately. He did a really good job on Kawhi in that second game that they beat the Clippers and he's averaging almost two blocks a game. Wiggins is so They'll probably put him on LeBron. So stuff like that. Like, I think you guys made all of the big picture points. And so this is a game where I'll be super interested to see how these individual matchups go. Because look, it's a stars league. Like, let's let these stars go at each other. And I want to see it. Yeah, I'm curious if LeBron's got a little extra for Steph on a MLK day. See if we can give them the business. Because yeah, against some of the better teams, they've struggled a bit. Should be fun. Got that last game at home and then a seven-game road trip. Lakers sit at 11-3. and three. Big week coming up, big road trip coming up. Uh, we'll be there to cover all of it. But until then, you've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tips to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic got it. Magic fires. It's good. The Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Yeah.
Seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble. And banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.